This is not a dream. You are listening to the Nelson Broadcast Network. This is not a dream. This is Aiden's Revisited. This is not a dream. With your host, Trey Harris. This is not a dream. 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 It's your disbelief that powers him. Your stubborn faith in, in common sense that allows his deception. He lives in the smallest parts of it. And the atoms, smaller, invisible. He lives in all of it. You flatter us, Donald. You flatter us. Mm. You flatter us saying that we're everywhere inside you. But with consent, of course. Always consent with 80s Revisited. Once again, our final, final film, unfortunately, for Halloween Horror Month. Mm. John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. As always, I'm your faithful Carpenterite, Trey Harris. With me as always, my loyal producer, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. And with great sadness, I talk about this because it once again ends the most wonderful time of the year for me as I... Say goodbye to horror movies and hello to my wife's incessant viewing of Elf and uh, all that other stupid shit. <laughs> Let me phrase that. Stupid, multiple viewed stupid shit. Uh, Watching Elf one time during the Christmas season, that's fine. Don't need to watch it three or four. Same thing with Home Alone. Once is good. <laughs> once a year is fine. Right. Not repeated. But enough of that shit. Because <laughs> this is Halloween Horror Month here on 80s Revisited. Yes, one of my favorite subjects to talk about. Any of the films of John Carpenter, the great one. Prince of Darkness, released October 23rd, 1987, almost uh, 29 years ago. Well, 29 years ago, because we're recording this on the 20th, what's that, 24th? 26. 26, way off by three days. So the, this, you know, next year will be the 30th anniversary, even though they just came out with a really, really nice Blu-ray uh, maybe a year ago. Mm. Or so, but hey, 30th anniversary usually always means something special is going to happen. So maybe we'll have some screenings somewhere with Carpenter doing some introductions or something if we're that lucky. Because as as usual, Carpenter's films didn't too good didn't do bleh, didn't do too good at the box office. So, but once they come home, DHS, DVD, eventually Blu-ray, now digital, find their new life and find their audience finally. But anyway. IMDb gives it a 6.7. Uh, I don't think I mentioned but it was 1987. Oh, yeah, did I say? Yes, yeah, in 1987. You Getting said it now. <laughs> if not, I said it twice. But at least I know for sure I said it once. There you go. Uh, IMDb gives it a 6.7. Rotten Tomatoes, 58% critics, 60% audience. Mm. Budget, couldn't find any information on the estimated. However, it opened at 4.6. Domestically, excuse me, went on the gross 14. No info I could find on Worldwide or Reynolds, but I can say this, that it opened... On October 23rd, 1987, number two, number one for the week, Fatal Attraction. Mm. So you had, you know, I guess the people that had to bring their girlfriends and wives to the film movies when it's all Fatal Attraction, whereas the stag parties went to check out the latest Carpenter flick. Regardless, me and Autumn would have been at Prince of Darkness. Well, no. <laughs> you never know. Uh, Fatal Attraction's all right. Wow, that grossed 156. This is a big hit. Yeah. Psycho Glen Coke. Glenn Close. There you go. Michael Douglas in his prime, though. You know, that's Romance in the Stone era. His, the 80s were his decade for him, I think. Mm. But anyway, not, that's not what's saying. I'm ready to talk about Michael Douglas, who stole the love of my life from the 90s, Catherine Zeta-Jones, when he married her. <laughs> Robbing the cradle on that one. Anyway, directed by the great John Carpenter. Of course, Big Trouble in Little China, the subject of our first episode ever. And speaking of, got to give a shout-out to our good friend, Ben Wyatt, the uh, Asia Mania podcast, where he just re-reviewed it, and he did like it a little better. So... No. Well, it's working on it's working that magic it's only taken per, a few years yeah it's what it takes you gotta watch it a couple of times you gotta, you gotta you know get in it but uh yeah so check out the latest episode of that not necessarily the latest because Ben is a machine and puts them out so frequently but one of the recent episodes definitely check it out to hear Ben's thoughts on it but also of course John Carpenter responsible from, for the Halloween the best horror movie ever made in my opinion uh, and also the thing probably the second best horror movie ever made in my opinion mm-hmm. so you know it is the season right now still for John Carpenter. Written by Martin Quartermass. Never heard of that guy. That's because it's actually John Carpenter. Uh, he also, obviously, you know, he writes most of his own stuff. He wrote the thing, Halloween, Big Trouble in China. You know, so he, he tends to, you know, do what Rob Zombie wishes he could do, which right. is write, direct, and do the music for your own movie and have all three be amazing. 
I know the feeling. You don't want your name plastered all over something. Yeah. I mean, Trey Parker did it as Juan Schwartz. Schwartz, yeah, for yeah. Cannibal. And I do it <laughs> on my movies. <laughs> David Lynch did it for Dune, but because he didn't want his name on it. Right, well. So there's, there's multiple different. reasons. <laughs> yeah, a little different. But, uh, yeah, so... Uh, and, you know, you got John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, directed by John Carpenter. You don't need written by John Carpenter. Right. Music by John Carpenter. Starring John Carpenter and some <laughs> other guys. <No>. Thankfully, <laughs> he doesn't put himself in his yeah, movies. Yeah, I know. That'd be overkill. Or his, well, he did, he was married to Adrian Barbeau at one point, and she was in a couple of them, so, but it wasn't like to where he made his wife the main character. Right. And she can't act. Sherry Moon's on me. Excuse me. <laughs> Something in my throat. But starring some pretty regular Carpenterites, such as the late, great Donald Pleasance's father, Loomis. No relation to Dr. Loomis, but it's obviously a reference, uh, of course. Dr. Loomis in Halloween. He was also the president of Escape from New York. And famously, as we mentioned on many earlier episodes of the podcast, his death in Fantastic Voyage traumatized me when that white blood cell ate his face like the blob. Mm. Uh, also, another carpenter, right? Victor Wong as Professor Howard Barak, which is an odd name for a, an Asian character. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, of course, uh, he was uh, Yen... Uh, Egg and uh, Big Trouble Little China. Also, who's the character? He's the grandfather, or the uncle in uh, Three Ninjas, the one that trained him. Do you remember? It's been so long since I've seen that movie. Yeah, it's been a I think while. It was a, I think it was his grandfather. Grandpa. Okay, grandpa. Yeah. He was the grandpa to Rocky Tum Tum. Colt. Okay, no. yeah. Yeah, it? yeah, it is Colt. <laughs> yeah. Because they had like stupid names. <laughs> I don't know. That's why I remember them for some reason. No, but the original that was three, their idea. You know, the original three remember. ninjas loved it as a kid. When I was, excuse me, as I was when I was younger, and when I was twelve years old when it came out in '92. So, yeah, haven't seen it since, but it's not '90s revisited. So, moving right along, but he's also in the Last Emperor. Uh, Jameson Parker was Brian. Uh, mainly a lot of TV. Most specifically, he was Simon in Simon and Simon, the other Simon to Gerald McRaney Simon. If that can get any more confusing. Mm-hmm. Also starring Lisa Blunt as Catherine. Uh, she was in An Officer and a Gentleman, and that was about it. Uh, I think she passed away not uh, rather tragically. Uh, and Dennis Dunn, another carpenter artist, Walter. Uh, of course, he was weighing a Big Trouble in Little China, the actual star of the film, not the sidekick. Uh, he was also, along with Victor Wong, in The Last Emperor, which I remember seeing as a young, much younger person and falling asleep during it, so that's one. Because uh, I believe one Best Picture, you know, it was a really highly revered movie, but I haven't seen it since I fell asleep when my parents rented it when I was a child. Hmm. Uh, nevertheless, Peter Jason is Dr. Paul Lee, and the reason I bring him up, he was also in They Live. And I mostly remember him from the original Mortal Kombat film as Johnny Carpenter's trainer, Master Boyd, who was <laughs> imitated by Shang Tsung to get Johnny to go to the tournament. And last but not least, the great Alice Cooper, as he's billed in the film, Street Schizo. So, <laughs> Street Schizo. That's, that's his name. It's better work name. in uh, Wayne's World. Yeah, that was an Academy Award-winning performance. I mean, I can't, I can't hear somebody say Milwaukee without saying, you know, that's an Indian Milwaukee. name, right? What does it mean? Oh, it's from the ancient Algonquin Milwaukee, meaning the good land. That's that's still my favorite part of that film. That is so, it's so genius. Like, you know, like you, like it plays with every emotion, like thought you have going in, and then to- you're just like, it's totally flipped. No, it's so good. And like, I actually it saw Put you in his shoes. Put you in Wayne's shoes. Yeah, like, you're just like, <laughs> you're, like you're like, we're not worthy. Like, so well done. I love it so much. Uh, and I, there was actually a blurb somewhere on the internet the, earlier this week about like, you know, possibly getting three, Wayne's World 3 off the ground, which, uh, uh, I mean. I just don't uh, think it'll happen. And I mean, every, every day you wait, it's getting, it's going to be too awkward. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to make them old to where like there's sh- nobody's watching their show and they're still trying to do what there's, they did back then or something. There's a way to do it, but I have no idea what that way is. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the right idea. I mean, I would love for it to be a trilogy because I think two's underrated. But uh, nevertheless, uh, back to Prince of Darkness. Two sentence synopsis: Science and religion meet to investigate a strange container. Happens to hold the Prince of Darkness is key to return. That's all you need to know going in. If you haven't seen this, uh, it's it's a very very different horror movie uh i didn't see this till the 90s and even then like i didn't appreciate it till much later when i was you know becoming a student of john carpenter's work and watching everything that i could get my hands on that he did and that's when i really started to appreciate this one for just how unique and different it is uh because it's uh you know you see the name and you see the cover it came out around the same time as serpent in the rainbow Wes craven's serpent in the rainbow uh, so I'd always get the covers kind of mixed up because they're very kind of similar with weird facial screams 
Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that cover. It's pretty weird. <laughs> it makes sense once you've seen the movie. Okay. But it's uh, it's odd. <laughs> I mean, it has a design. It's kind of yeah, odd. It's got some license to it and stuff. But, uh, yeah, like, you know, going into it for the first, like, when I really went into it to watch it, like, I, like, I remember seeing this, but I don't remember anything about it. You know, so, but it's called Prince of Darkness, John mm-hmm. Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. So, you know, watching it originally, it was just like, okay, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be, this is going to be a Carpenter-esque horror movie. And it's, it is Carpenter-esque, but it's, it's so, it's so unique. It's more of a thriller almost. I mean, there are obviously horrific elements in it. Excuse me, but I mean, it's, the real story of this movie is just, is pretty much science and religion, like, coming together over this unexplainable, like, phenomenon that's never i mean it could be supernatural it could be alien you like you don't even know what's it's it's at least in a in t- in typical carpenter fashion just like the ending of halloween ending of the thing ending mm-hmm. of they live you know it's open they, his book his movies are pretty much never like you know open and shut so it's just like uh it's just it's and the tension the absolute tension in this film is probably the most tense movie he's ever done and uh, let me let me phrase that i'm sorry atmosphere the combination of atmosphere and tension because mm-hmm. they're two different things, yeah. but they feed off each other, and you know the acting is not fantastic in this film. It, no one's going to win an award for their role in here, but it's just the the combination of Carpenter's directing, the fact that you never really know what's going on for the most part in this film, in terms of like what's happening, like what's the cause and what how they're going to how are they going to get out of this and you know all this kind of stuff, and then just Carpenter's music, atmospheric and effective as always. And then it's just, I mean, it's a slow burn, but you know, like you have this just feeling of dread as you're watching it the whole time. Every time I watch it, it inspires that same kind of feeling in me. And again, I'm 100% biased against 99.9% of the movies John Carpenter's done, except Dark Star, because that was a student film. And I appreciate it for what it is, but it's, mm. <laughs> he, he rose to much higher, higher heights, uh, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, so revisiting it which i mean this is one i tend to watch at least once a year usually obviously around halloween uh but i think it's it's definitely probably carpenter's most underrated film uh and if you most of his films have not most of them but his 80 most of his 80s films have been redone uh like for example uh the fog in 1980 redone escape from new york they're still talking about remaking it uh thankfully they did a prequel to the thing and not a remake which Obviously, it doesn't touch the original, but I didn't think it was terrible. I mean, you throw Mary Elizabeth Winstead in something, I'm going to watch it. Uh, you know, so... And there's you know, there's still the rumor about the Big Trouble in Little China remake with The Rock, which everybody knows how I am about remakes, but I would see that. Anything The Rock's, I'm going to see. Except Baywatch. Not going to see that in the theater. I'll <laughs> wait, you know, to get that on the DL. And I don't mean down low, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but, uh, Baywatch. Jumanji. Because, I mean, if, if you... You could literally just remake that same movie... And just have The Rock improvise his dialogue, and I'm, I'm on board. You take the same plot. James, James Hong's still around. Pop him back as Lopan again. Don't even need the makeup for the old man part. And you just go. <laughs> just go with it. You know? It'd be great. Uh, I mean, just imagine how great it would be if The Rock is as inept as Jack Burton is, if they actually do the remake with The Rock. You know? Because, honestly, you, you could go totally different with it by having Jack Burton, Burton in the sequel, in the remake, actually be you know, capable of saving the world, not mm-hmm. by accident, not like, you know, with a Kung Fu sidekick, not with a Kato, for lack of a better word. You know, so I'm actually really interested in it, and I really do hope it happens with with The Rock, or you do Bigger Trouble in Little China, and Kurt Russell comes back, and it's yeah. a sequel. That would obviously be what I want the most, but, I mean, every day, just saying we were talking about, you know, with Wayne's World, every day that it's not happening, it's... 100 times more not ha- ever happening you know so but I mean Carpenter's library of work is so phenomenal and it ranges I mean in my abs- honest opinion some of the best science fiction films some of the best horror films ever made and drama I mean Starman I mean what a what a like that movie is amazing it still like almost brings me to tears sometimes and again I'm not kissing Carpenter's ass saying everything he touches is gold I mean Escape from L.A. It's not a. It's not uh, technically and you know aesthetically, it's not a good movie, but it's Snake Plissken and it's John Carpenter and Kurt Russell back in a movie. Can't I can't complain, even though the surfing part's really bad. But nevertheless, it's still enjoyable to watch. Have you seen them all? Uh, the only film of his I have not seen. Uh, I take it back. I haven't seen his. He has a, a short I think on Masters of Horror called Cigarette Burns. 
I haven't okay. seen that. Uh, well, what about full length movies? I'm pretty sure. Looking uh, like double checking. Uh, yep, 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 <laughs> yep. I, okay, I haven't seen the Elvis TV movie. Ah, which is I that? Knew that's you him, a that's fan. him and Kurt Russell <laughs> as well. But it's a TV. Never look for it. Right, right. You know, uh, and yeah, that's it. Pretty much. Wow, crazy. So, of course, you watch a lot of movies. Yeah, I mean, and again, <laughs> I'm a total Carpenter fanboy. Like, but I mean, if if you just look at his body of work, I mean, the, the man has some of the, the best, most original, well done films, not just of the '80s, but in these certain particular genres of all time. I'd say. I mean, he's revered, and he's and he's actually multi talented. To where his music is actually really good. The music he writes for his films is phenomenal. You know, Eastwood's another you know threat, actor, director, and musician. You know, Carpenter's writer, director, musician. I mean, like triple threats here. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Mel Gibson, actor, director, and, that's a, and racist. He's a great racist, I guess. <laughs> he's <a great> racist. <laughs> he's got, up there with the best of them. I can't pick on Gibson, but I, gotta, I feel bad for him. I think you know he, he's back. I mean, yeah, he's, and he's, I think he's back. I don't know. It's just, it's just, you know, when you're when you're famous like that, you you mess up one time and you're permanently labeled that. Not that anybody knows what is anybody in anybody else's heart, but you know, it's a it's a shame that that happened to him. I mean, his own doing, obviously. Sure. But I mean, you know, his dad was like that, so you grow up in that. I mean, that's inherent in everybody. And like South Park says, everybody's a little racist, just like everybody's <laughs> a little gay. So everybody needs yep. to just calm down about all this shit. <laughs> but anyway, bottom line. Uh, regarding my experience with Darkness, Prince of Darkness, and revisiting it, I revisit this every year, mm. every single year. This, the thing, Halloween. I always get that trifecta in of Carpenter's work around this time. Uh, and the Fog Blu-ray came out not too long ago, which I got. So hopefully, I'll have time to watch that before the holiday hits, since we got a few days left. But this is one. If you haven't seen it and you're a Carpenter fan, you're in for a treat. You know, this is, again, like, this is, I think, his most underrated film uh, because it's so different. And it's not what you'd expect going into it. Again, with John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness in the title, like, my mind goes all sorts of places. Yeah. Not where this movie went with a science and religion type thing, like, coming together and trying to explain what's happening. I mean, you got time travel. I mean, it's, it's just wacky, but in a good way. Mm. Uh, but if you're not a John Carpenter fan and you don't like, you like traditional horror type, you know, or if you're a Carpenter fan, but you, you're a Halloween type Carpenter fan... Where you're looking for something pretty straightforward for the most part, this is not for you. You probably you should definitely watch it because again, I think it's fantastic. But again, I'm biased, totally biased with John Carpenter. Can't help it. Love the man. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm more of a fan of uh, Martin Quartermass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, this is is his only film I believe that he's written. Well, so. it's his best. <laughs> Should have got the Oscar. <laughs> but uh, moving on to some. I mean, well, I forgot to ask you, Jesse. I mean, you never, you have never seen this film. I haven't. I haven't. Uh, nope. Gotcha. Just like many of Most, our listeners out there. Yeah, I mean, it is <laughs> like it's you know again. Oh yeah, John Carpenter did Halloween, the thing. Your big oh, Big Trouble Little China. I love yeah. those films. Well, you've seen The Fog. You've seen They Live. Well, most people have seen They Live nowadays. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I mean, so many, so many. I mean, in the eighties, he was untouchable, except Memoirs of an Invisible Man. But it was different. He had something different. <laughs> not terrible, but just not great. But anyway, uh, some of the trivia on the film. Obviously, like I mentioned before, uh, Donald Pleasance's character, Father Loomis, is obviously named after the character he played in Halloween. And I don't think they even say his name in the movie. Credit as priest. Yeah. Uh, although, uh, in the film, it's called, like, or on IMDb, it says somewhere, like, actually, let me rephrase that. In the trivia, it says that he's credited as Father Loomis. Oh, <laughs> but really? apparently, not anymore. Because yeah. it's just labeled as priest. So... Hmm. Well, so if that question's on Jeopardy, I can't help you. I can't be responsible if you answer it wrong because apparently it's in out. the trivia, but it's not on the uh, yeah in the, in the actual cast of the thing. It's labeled as just priest. Yep. So it might have been like a script thing, and they just never mentioned in the film, or um, or somebody is just thinking, oh, Donald Pleasance is in a John Carpenter movie. <gasps> you know, you know, a Wikipedia type thing like we did for Season of the Witch a couple years ago. Somebody just put that as part of the trivia. What's his actual name? Father what? They're saying Father Loomis. Loomis, okay. So mm, that may or may not be true because, you know, not everything you see on the internet is true. But rest assured, everything that we tell you that's not an opinion is highly likely to possibly be true. But <laughs> right. maybe not. It's always fact checks. is the bottom line. If you did as much research as we did, that's what you would find. Exactly. 
But uh, Peter Jason hurt his shoulder in the scene where he and Jameson Parker try to break down the front doors of the church to escape. Uh, he claimed that he claims to still to this day that like he, it's like still hurts. Mm. So good acting there, uh, I guess. Uh, you gave yourself a lifelong injury for a film that bombed at the box office, but found its found its uh, its cult, as typical Carpenter fashion. You know, is a cult film. It happens. Uh, all the mirror shots where it shows like things reaching through mirrors, which looks really good because again, practical. It's a Carpenter film. Practical effects. This is pre Ghosts of Mars. Where all that uh, crap, you know, CG saw blades and all that stupid stuff. Uh, but anyway, it was actually done by using mercury. Hmm. And John Carpenter came, claims the most difficult effect was the claw coming out of the mirror. So they actually drained the mercury from a crane to create the effect of a pool of silver liquid of something coming out of. Let me let me make sure I read it. Okay, they, they worded this wrong. Basically, they, they had the pool and they had to pull it out with a crane to give it the effect of it like coming through. All right. So that makes any sense. I still don't understand it myself, honestly. I guess it's the motion of it. Yeah. Yeah. To come. And if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. It's the, it's the hand. The, claw, the hand with claws on it. But anyway, uh, Alice Cooper, there's a bike impalement in this film. Uh, the guy with glasses buys it that way. Uh, but he actually calls it his bike impalement trick, and he uses it in his stage shows. And in the film, that's his actual prop that he uses uh, in his concerts. This was actually Carpenter's first film that he made independently since Escape from New York. Not only because of the box office failure of his previous film, which was our first film ever done on the podcast, Big Trouble in Little China, but also his frustration working with the studios, which is one thing I've always admired about Carpenter, how he made some studio pictures, obviously, but his best work, most of his best work, I should say, was done outside of the studio system, where he had more control and you're seeing his vision. You know, now, and, you know, that's why I like, Every John Carpenter film is John Carpenter's whatever. That's like in his writer, so to speak. Like, I want Final Cut, and I want my name on the t- above the title. You know? And he said that for Halloween, his first, like, film, like, the balls on the guy. Mm-hmm. At that time, especially. And then, well, guess what? He delivered the highest grossing independent film ever at that time. So, you know, he, he made good with, you know. It was a different world back then. Definitely. Definitely, definitely. Uh, let me see. Uh, Carpenter states that he set out to make a film with... Uh, Prince of Darkness, that was both atmospheric and dreadful. I think he succeeded highly. Uh, at the time, he was noticing a lot of derivative horror films and wanted to try something new involving quantum mechanics and religion. So if you're into quantum mechanics and religion, this is the horror film for you. Or if you just, again, like Carpenter, want something different, you know, check it out. Uh, you, if you're looking for gore, there's some gory stuff in here. Typical 80s, you know, level gore. Uh, some great makeup effects on one of the uh, girls as she's uh, basically becoming possessed, for lack of a better word. That's even how he you'd want to call it in the film. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. And of course, Martin Quartermass had such a good time working with Donald Pleasance, Victor Wong, and Dennis Dunn on their previous con- uh, collaborations that he specifically wrote their roles for them in this film. Mm. Which makes sense, because, you know, before Tarantino was doing it, Carpenter was doing it in the 80s, using the same actors over and over. Just saying it's not a new thing. Uh, anyway, uh, Alice Cooper actually originally asked John Carpenter if he could come to set just to watch uh, watch like some of the special effects because he was, uh, you know, Cooper has a stage show. You know, at that time it was, you know, it's again going back to my Rob Zombie parable yeah. or a reference like what, you know, Rob Zombie got a lot of that stuff from Alex Cooper with like the, the horror show, stage show. You know, Alex Cooper would put his head in a guillotine and somebody would run around with his head on stage, you know, all theatrical, <laughs> you know, thematic theatrical stuff. Uh, that fit the music that you're seeing and the character of Alice Cooper. So anyway, uh, but Cooper's manager is also a, a producer on Prince of Darkness, so Carpenter eventually decided to offer Cooper a role as the leader of the street people, a.k.a. Street Schizo, which explains mm. his role and no speaking parts. Hmm. Which we, we did see, as we mentioned earlier, years later, he's got some chops. Right, right, right. At he least could've... for that... You know, I don't think the streets get so would start saying, ah, yes, the Prince of Darkness, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Ancient uh, Indian name. But uh, the film was originally written, this, this was, I think, the most interesting thing about this film, because if you know your Halloween history in terms of the film and the, you know, the original, leading up to the season of The Witch, we covered a couple years ago, uh, you know, after Halloween 2, Carpenter wanted the Halloween franchise to focus on, to be almost an anthology series of different films around the holiday and, you know, spooky happenings, you know, like a Tales from the Dark Side, a Twilight Zone, uh, a creep show, those type, you know, uh, but a full movie series like that uses the name, but each one's different. Almost like, uh, I had an example and then I lost it. 
Final Fantasy. Mm. You know, there are similarities that tie them together, like vaguely in name only, but or character, you know, a character name only or a something. But uh, this was originally written as the fourth Halloween film. Uh, hmm. So after se- had Season of the Witch, you know, done better, I would assume. Which, I don't, if I remember correctly, it didn't fail, but it wasn't a blockbuster hit. Obviously, like the original or the sequel to Halloween, uh, this could have happened a lot sooner and probably been a lot different. Uh, in you know, structure and all that being at that point probably a studio film as opposed to you know, being a little bit outside the studio. Uh, which I think also, I think, uh, speaking of that with John Carpenter, he's, to me, he's such... And the same thing with kind of like Don Coscarelli from the Phantasm series, which, uh, by the way, I watched Ravager, the recent one. It was terrible. It's the worst one in the series. Wanted to turn it, like, I hate to say it. The trailer <laughs> looked all... I was, like, excited for the trailer. It's bad, like... It's, it was extremely disappointing. So I, mean, I t- mentioned I would let everybody know about that after I watched it. But so I did watch that. Yeah, and, uh, five point five. Uh, I mean, again, I, you know, Phantasm is a you know, with all due respect, a campy series. Mm-hmm. But Ravager is just like TV movie bad. Just like, oh man, why, 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 why? But uh, <laughs> especially in this day and age where you would think the CG would. Improve things, yeah, but it just stands out so much. Exactly, especially and, when it's cheap. Yeah, you know, in the days, you know, that's why Sharknado has that look to it. Because yeah. It's, but uh, anyway, what I was getting at was that John Carpenter and along with Don Coscarelli, even in Phantasm Rider, they had the, they had a budget because they were trying to, you know, I guess they got some money somewhere to do it. But looking at the previous Phantasms, like Don Coscarelli's, I don't think ever done like a really big budget film. You know, he did Beastmaster and the Phantasm series. And wrote, you know, he's written some other stuff that was a little bit higher budget. But I think along with Carpenter, like, they just kind of thrive in that low budget outside of the system range, and uh, which makes their product stay true to itself. And what I mean by that is, like, Sam Raimi was the same way. And I say was because once he did Spider-Man, like, then he came out with, like, a simple plan and a couple other films, and it just wasn't the same. Like, his style, everything was just, it was different. And I think it was because he was doing big, big budget stuff. But then he does... Uh, Drag Me to Hell, which was still a studio film. Uh, however, that was more Raimi. That was the most Sam Raimi film since Army of Darkness. Hmm. To me, at least. You know, you could tell like he was up to his old tricks again, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, A Simple Plan was like a bank robbery movie. Or like, you know, uh, some, I can't remember it exactly. I just remember Billy Bob and Bill Paxton. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it was uh, they found, uh, found some money or money something from Money and a crash plane. yeah. And uh, had to decide how they were going to handle that. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, which isn't exactly Raimi's forte in terms of his skills, his mm-hmm. talent as a director. Yeah. You know, he's horror and sci-fi. You know, uh, Don Coscarelli does horror. He does fantasy. He does, you know, Bubba Hotep. You know, he, he has crazy ideas that he manages to make into a good movie. You know, Bubba Hotep is, you know, old Elvis in a nursing home with a... Uh, African-American gentleman who thinks he's JFK's brain in a different body to discredit him. And there's a mummy terrorizing a nursing home. That sounds mm. like absolutely ridiculous and you don't even care about it except, oh, Bruce Campbell's playing Elvis, Ossie Davis is playing John F. Kennedy, and it's directed by Donny Coscarelli. I'm interested at that point. You know, same thing with John Carpenter doing a film about quantum mechanics and religion. <laughs> you know, like, oh, Carpenter's doing it? I'm there. Because that... There, and I, I'm not... The following... Just having a following. Yeah, because you and but I, I like I know when I watch a Don Coscarelli film, I know what I'm in for, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing when a director surprises you or something. But in terms of the skills that those people have, like Coscarelli made Phantasm on a shoestring budget, and you know, it's it's got its home movie aspects, but I mean, it spawned five sequels and made millions of dollars, and you know, had a character in Star Wars named after it once JJ took over. You know, I have a lot of respect for Coscarelli. I got a lot of res- mucho res- more respect than I should have for a human being with John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Sam Raimi as well. But, I mean, I think you, you can just tell when they're in their element. And I think Carpenter, he knows when he's out of it. Mm-hmm. Or, or he knows, like, okay, you know, if I do another studio film, I'm not going to be able to do this because this wouldn't perform. I'm out of this. I'm going to make what I want to make. I'm going to do it how I want to do it. My vision, when I watch a Carpenter film, his, you know you're seeing what he wants you to see. It's not like... Because I remember hearing story like Shyamalan with with Sixth Sense, like he had his vision for the movie, he had a different ending in in mind, like a different way to end the film. Same thing that Bruce Willis is a ghost. Spoiler alert! Mm. Uh, I haven't seen you it know. Yet. 
<laughs> Too late. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and the studio said, like, nope, we're using this ending. And that's, that's a story on a ton of movies. Uh, some of those changes are good. Some are... Wait, go back. What? One more page. This one? Michael Massey. Yeah, 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 I read that. Oh, well, that's a lovely headline to put it... Okay, <laughs> that's kind of, like, shitty. Anyway... Tell the people what you read. So, uh, and that's on IMDb? It is. Wow, that's some tasteless journalism. Uh, Michael Massey, I assume that's how you pronounce it, he was fun boy from The Crow. Hmm. Uh, died today. You know, our condolences to his family. But the headline is, Michael Massey, the Crow actor who accidentally shot Brandon Lee, dies at 61. Yeah. That's like, that shouldn't be in the headline. I mean, that's... That's what he's going down as. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, he wouldn't until now. Now, like, that's the headline on IMDb saying, oh, yeah, the guy that shot Brandon Lee by complete accident and regretted it for his entire life died today. Wow. That was, like, one of the first things he did, too. Yeah. Crazy. Because, like, I mean, if, I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, obviously it's a horrific story what happened. I mean, you know, we, the reason why Brandon Lee's not around today, it wasn't his fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but, uh, I mean, he was, like, traumatized for that for years. Like, I mean, he, like, didn't do a lot of stuff and, like, st- still could never talk about it, obviously, till his dying day. That's just a really shitty way to, like, you know, say that on, you could say that in the, in the obit, you know, the bio or whatever, but yeah, that doesn't yeah. need to be the headline. Because he, that's, that's tactless, I think. Shame on you, IMDb. That's my shame. opinion. You can actually disagree. shame on Variety. Yeah, I mean that shouldn't be. You know, put the crow actor, and then you know, and then you can go into the whole story and tell the story, not just say, "Oh yeah, he's shot Brandon Lee." You know, no, he did. It was an act. It was he's literally an things. accident. Yeah, seventy-eight credits. That means he's done seventy-five things since that. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, there you go. Go down to the crow real quick, or just uh, the year because that was 90, 94. 94. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's done plenty since. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, he passed away today, and then now he's going to be remembered not from anything he did, except he was the one who, the character in the movie, who was given the gun with the dummy bullet lodged in the barrel. Mm. That's terrible. What about the doctors who didn't save his life? <laughs> yeah. You know, when they die, you're going to put that in their obituary? What about the, the uh, what is it, the prop, ma- prop master or weapon master yeah, or whatever? Yeah, you know, what about that guy when he dies? Test that out. Or we don't know his name. He was, and that's the guy whose fault it is for not checking it first. Let's look up his name in the credits. <laughs> yeah, let's no, find this asshole. Let's call him we're gonna, and when he dies, we're going to have a special <laughs> podcast. Do it. Oh, but that's beside the point. But, uh, that's just terrible. I think that's a horrible way to say that. You know, ain't like the guy went to jail like for doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's just bad. Yeah, Tantar is the name. <laughs> yeah, so Edward Tantar Levisio. Oh, he is dead. He is dead. Damn it. We missed it. <laughs> He died six years. And I bet ago. nobody batted an eye. Nope. Probably not. Oh, whatever. Anyway. But uh, Prince of Darkness, again, my scores are going to reflect the fact that I completely have a hard-on for John Carpenter films. I'd give it an 8.5. I think it's fantastic. It's still, it's still got such... Even though I've seen it, know exactly what's going to happen. It's still got great atmosphere, great tension. It's a good thriller with horrific aspects that, you know, become that slowly rear their heads, so to speak, and become more and more apparent as the film builds. Uh, the thing builds and builds and builds, but it's the thing, you know, you, you know, it's got a little more actiony kind of aspects to it. So it's, you know, these people are capable, you know, I, I, you know, they're capable of like at least trying to fight the thing mm-hmm. where these are like scientists and nerds and a priest. And I mean that with all due respect, you know, they don't like, you know, when it gets into a fight, I mean, it's like, you know, like, they don't know how to fight. They're not Jack... Well, they are more like Jack Burton than, uh, say, uh, Snake Plissken. Which, there is actually a, a pretty funny crossover comic book right now uh, where Snake Plissken meets Jack Burton. And the reason that is is because Snake Plissken is actually... And Jack Burton are the same person, except different timelines. Hmm. So, they somehow... Jack Burton drives back into some time loop or something and meets up with Snake... And they think he's Snake Plissken... And again, he bumbles his way into stopping whatever. And the Snake Plissken shows up like, I'm going to kill you. You're not me. <laughs> and then so craziness ensues. So it's a comic book going on right now. Uh, only one issue yeah. in, but it's funny. It's just, <laughs> yeah. you know. It, you but it know divides the line, though. It's like no longer can people have that discussion. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. But also, uh, I forget, one of our listeners wrote in about uh, the Revolution series which is where all the 80s cartoons are like meeting in a series in a comic book series right now. Uh, and it I'm been reading that it's it's interesting. It's it's cool. The art is phenomenal. Like uh, 
I like it when people draw Transformers to where you can tell what's happening when they're in a panel. Mm. You know, something Michael Bay can't do with film. Uh, but it combines G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mask, Rom, Space Knight, Micronauts, Action Man. Uh, like, you know, it's like a shared movie universe or a comic book universe with those characters now. Yeah. And it's it's really good. Like, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed reading it. It's It's got the nostalgia, but it's got great art. Uh, and it's just it's just a fun read. You know, it's not like... Yeah, see, there's like, you can get the idea, like, the Transformers are, like, really drawn really well in these current comics, which, you know, I read Transformers comics in the 80s, mm-hmm. you know, where they were, like, you know, still a little more closer to the cartoon. Uh, but the art in uh, this series is really, uh, the Revolution storyline, the, the the series Revolution number one and two, blah, blah, blah. Like, the art's really solid. Uh, really, like, uh, really enjoy it. It's, it if, you, if you play with these toys, it's awesome. Uh, I mean, it's no, you know, Dark Knight Returns or Watchmen in terms of the story, but it's it's worth reading if uh, you get your hands on it. Uh, so, yeah. But anyway, uh, in the real world, again, Prince of Darkness released October 23rd, 1987. Uh, just a few days, or a week later, actually, on October 30th, day before Halloween, the great Joseph Campbell passed away. Uh, if you know who Joseph Campbell is, you've seen movies that use his uh, Hero of a Thousand Faces mythology. Uh, Back to the Future, Harry Potter, Star Wars, any Lord of the Rings, all these films, the storyline is basically, there's an outline for the hero's journey is what it's more so-called, but it's from the book, his book, Hero of a Thousand Faces. Mm. If you haven't read it, it's a great book, philosophy, everything, it's just a fantastic book. Uh, But I mean, it tells about how every story that you hear is like, these are the things, you know, you meet the old mentor. You always refuse, you know, your greatness the first time. Like, I can't go Mm. be a Jedi. I got to stay here. Yeah. You're always refusing, and then like, then you accept it, and then you grow, and then you have the loss, and like, it's it's this pattern that it, you know, not just like in Star Wars, yeah, it's just like in everything, <laughs> because uh, Joseph Campbell pretty much defined uh, the modern structure of storytelling. I would say uh, I'm not a scholar of his work. I've read A Hero of a Thousand Faces. That's about it. Uh, my good friend Jason has seen a lot of his stuff, listened to a lot of his lectures, which I think on YouTube you can actually find a lot of them. Hmm. Yeah, but uh, in 1987. On October 30th, the day for Halloween, he did pass away. But, uh, you know, if you're, uh, I don't know if you've ever looked up the, at the, the pat, like the outline for the hero's journey, but I mean, because I know you write a lot, but uh, yeah. I mean, that's where most people start with stuff. Yeah. It's just the outline, that's their outline, and they adapt it or change it, you know, to keep it different. But I mean, that's because, and he, but in the, when he explains it, it's because, you know, this is why you refuse it at first, because of you're not a hero. And he goes into the explanation of like, because it's not, it's not so much, you do it for the story. This is, but this is why great people do. You know, to become great, this is the journey you take to become the hero. Yeah. Because you're not just like, oh, I'm Green Lantern. I got a power ring. I have great will. I'm gonna be Green Lantern now, or I'm Superman. You know, no, you have to have, you know, all these characters. You know, that's he saw these patterns in mythology, and then you know into our modern mythology. You know, Spider Man, yeah. same pattern. You know, you name a name a name a hero. They all do that. Yeah. yeah. It, makes him seem more human, too. It's like, yeah, name a hero that doesn't have a tragic backstory. Uh, I'll wait. <laughs> no, I won't, because we got a podcast. I don't need a lot of dead air. You know, but I mean, it's, it's all, it's, he basically has the philosophy behind all that. And again, if you haven't read it, if you're a writer, if you, you know, you just, you know, you're looking for story structure or anything like that, like read Hero with a Thousand Faces. Phenomenal book. And it, it, hmm. it basically explains what you've always known. You yeah. know, but it, it's like, you're like, you're, and you, I'm, re, I'm when I read it in college, I was like, duh. Yeah. You know, like, but like, I knew this, but I didn't know it. It's when you read it, like, okay, that explains exactly the thoughts I've had in my head before. Yeah. You know, that maybe that's just me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but his, his work lives forever. You know, so we should all be so lucky to have something like that. Uh, back to the future segment for, for Halloween Horror, we're talking about like the other films in the series and like, oh, there's a Prince of Darkness too. No, there's not. But Prince of Darkness is the second film in what John Carpenter calls his Apocalypse Trilogy. And by Apocalypse Trilogy, it's, he has three films that he considers part of it. The first being The Thing, then Prince of Darkness, and then in the early 90s, the, uh, Mouth of Mad- In the Mouth of Madness with uh, Sam Neill. Mm-hmm. Because they all deal with end-of-the-world scenarios. So these are all like you know, his different versions of the Apocalypse. So he's collectively, you know, I'm not sure if he came up with it or it's been adapted for him. Like, oh, this is his, or, you know... Or if he just, he might have mentioned, yeah, I have three films that deal with, you know, end of the world scenarios. So then, like, somebody took that and, like, you know, okay, it's your apocalypse trilogy. So I'm not sure if he gave himself this name or what. But uh, 
Anyway, yeah, uh, Mouth of Madness was in 94. Thing was in 82, obviously, because we talked about it on the podcast. Uh, in the three films, uh, the protagonists fight against creatures and ideas that are not necessarily supernatural. Rather, they're of a nature unknown to them in each one. So it's like fear of the unknown, like what's happening, which also explains why, you know, we'll never talk about Mouth of Madness on here except right now. But they're all, you know, you, there's nothing like The Thing except the prequel that came out a few years ago. There's really nothing like uh, Prince of Darkness, that, you know, with the, the nature of the story and everything, except Prince of Darkness. Mouth of Madness, you know, they've had similar, but not on that kind of same level, I would say. Uh, yeah, without spoiling it, since this isn't, you know, 90s revisited, you should watch it in the Mouth of Madness. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> it's another Carpenter film. It's great. I love it. And of course, you got Dr. Grant from, you know, Sam Neill from Jurassic Park. So, uh, hmm. but uh, one of his last really great films in terms of uh, before he kind of not petered out, but stopped making films. Put it to you that way. Uh, but uh, hmm. when uh, it's all, these three films have also been, you know, and this is a buzzword at two around a lot, you know, Lovecraftian mm-hmm. type things. Well, uh, Lovecraft said, this is a quote from him. Not all my tales are based on the fundamental premise that common human laws and interests and emotions have no validity or significance in the vast cosmos at large. And that's kind of what Carpenter took to heart with these three films in terms of like what we're doing today. This doesn't matter because there's, there's bigger forces at work here that we're not even a, a cog in the wheel of it. We're just dust on that wheel mm. as that wheel's moving. You know, so really interesting. Uh, and again, the three films don't tie together in any thing except the fact that these are end of the world scenarios in Carpenter's mind. You know, the thing, you know, again, you don't know we don't know what happens after that. You know, Carpenter knows who the thing he says he knows exactly who or who wasn't a thing at the end because he made the movie. But right. you know, good director doesn't say this is what it is. Like, well what do you th-? he's a good director says, what do you think? Yeah. In my opinion. Uh not just because Carpenter does it. I mean other people <laughs> do it, but I mean to he's me, always right. You know, uh the end of uh Prince of Darkness. Again, like, okay is it you know it's not over what's happening Melton Madness same thing you know I think I think the some of the best movies are like that and then some also the worst movies are like that because they try to do something on that level and they fail horribly like you know I saw you make a face like when you're looking oh, at it just it was <laughs> the guy who wrote In the Mouth of Madness didn't really write anything else oh he wrote uh, a couple episodes of Freddy's Nightmares and the short of the Lawnmower Man, yeah, in but I mean, like story and short, yeah, 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 which just wasn't. And then he went off and ran. And I guess he knew where the money was. Yeah, producing. Yep. 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 Oh wow. Yeah. A yeah. lot. Sixty-seven credits of that. Go. We have him to thank for Ghost Rider. Mm. <laughs> Thanks. Drive angry. Yeah, he's deep in Nicolas Cage with. Ghost I mean Rider that honestly second. too. Like uh, <laughs> Nicolas Cage's Ghost Rider is awesome. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> Terrible film, but Nicolas Cage as Ghost Rider is awesome. And Drive Angry, what a terrible, terrible movie, but it's so damn fun. Filmed in Louisiana. Really? Yeah. With the soon, well, ex Mrs. Depp. I, don't, I didn't even realize that was her until I saw the poster right there. I forgot that it was her, oh, I shouldn't say, because yeah. she's so forgettable in everything I've ever seen her in. <laughs> Although she's going to be Mara in Aquaman, so. I she. Whatever, but Zack Snyder doesn't, you know, yeah. he usually picks people because they're a pretty face and not a good actor. Good point. Uh, not saying anybody in specific you know, in particular, but uh, that's kind of his motive. But anyway, well, oh God, sucks. We're kind of at the end of Halloween Horror for another year. Yeah. But hey, you know, there's still a few days left in the month. Catch up while you can. I'm, I fell behind a lot this month because my parents came into town and stayed. So, I, you know, by the time I get home, it's like, oh, fuck, I gotta go to bed. And then also, <laughs> Westworld started this month. So it's like, oh, I gotta catch up on this show. Ash vs. Evil Dead started, but that's thematic. So it fits. Been watching that. It's been, you know, it's typical. It's Walking Dead came back. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, uh, yeah, we'll save that later. Very, y'all have heard enough about that this week. For sure. So you don't need to hear it from us, but it's about damn time <laughs> uh, that a certain person died. <laughs> Should have been a long time ago, and it wasn't the ginger, so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I should have been that dumpster wouldn't have saved him. That's all. That's all I got to say about that. That that was. I think you've said plenty. That was a wasted <laughs> plot line. I think the whole last season. I was like, I don't care. But uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, but I did see. I meant to talk about this last week, actually. Uh, recently, uh, Shin Godzilla, the recent uh, Godzilla movie made in Japan for Japan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you don't like Godzilla, let me this. If you're not a big Godzilla fan, which I watch them on TBS all the time. I love Godzilla. I know what to expect when I go see a Godzilla film. 
mm-hmm. to where I know I might only see Godzilla for 10 minutes because that tends to be how the old ones were too. Yeah. Uh, but Shin Godzilla is the most unique Godzilla film you'll ever see. And mm-hmm. by that I mean it is a whole bunch of people talking about <laughs> political issues. It's a very Japanese film in terms of like... It's like if Aaron Sorkin made Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, it's basically, this is probably, this is what would happen if Godzilla actually attacked Tokyo. Or Japan, I should say. It's, it's, which that's when I did, I heard that's how it was going into it. Excuse me, so I kind of anticipated that. Uh, It is a little bit too long. Because, I mean, again, it's just, it's, but it's really, it's a drama movie focused around different, the the Japanese government, like trying to figure out what to do, what's the best political thing, how do we not look like a puppet to the Americans, and all that. So it's, it's really, like, it's good, but, you know, you got to really like Godzilla, and you need to know what you're going into before you watch it. <laughs> oh, yeah, this part, like, again, I love Godzilla, but he when he's in, like, his first phase with his big eyeless, uh, eyelidless eyes, it's pretty funny looking when he's scooting uh, around the city. Uh, but there's a lot of, it's a man in a suit for the most part. There is CG mixed in. Uh, with the exception of, there's this one scene with train, with subway trains and moms in them. To where when they go off the rails, they literally start flying at his face, which is probably the worst. It's a practical effect, so I appreciate it, but it's really bad. <laughs> but uh, bottom line, if you like God's, if you're a Godzilla fan, and you know what you're getting into, you should like it. But if you're, you know, if you like, if you like the Matthew Broderick Godzilla, God forbid, uh, or if you like the recent American, which I thought was fantastic personally, uh, this is completely unlike anything you've ever seen as far as Godzilla goes. Mm. Uh, but I appreciate that about it, but it's also going to hurt it in America. But again, this wasn't made for us. This is not an American movie. This is purely for the Japanese audience, uh, which you need to know that going in because when I watched it, like I knew that going in, so it was like I understand that what like what some of the stuff they're saying and the attitudes they're portraying in the film aren't, you know, what... You know what you what Americans would consider to be the proper recourse for action, so to speak. Uh, so again, bottom line: if you like Godzilla, and you should go see it. If you're if you're a Godzilla fan, it's different enough to go see it. I saw it in the theater, had to read, you know, had to watch subtitles, which I don't mind subtitles. Uh, they didn't interfere with the action, but mm-hmm. uh, all the Godzilla stuff was top. Like the actual Godzilla stuff, the re- you know the reason you go to see a Godzilla movie yeah. in your heart, no matter how much you know how much like if you like political thrillers, you'll like this movie. But you're not going to see it for a political thriller. You want to see it to see Godzilla <laughs> do stuff. Right, right. I totally agree with that opinion for any Godzilla movie. But the Godzilla stuff is great. But you know this is a very tra- this is a Japanese Toho production Godzilla film. This is not you know. Miramax or I don't even know if Miramax is still around. Yeah. <laughs> or Universal or you know uh, this isn't a big studio American film like you that's know. your big go-to Miramax. <laughs> As a, it, for some reason that was the first thing that came to mind. Wow, actually Good sounds like hunting a, and actually sounds like a Godzilla like one of the monsters that would fight him. Oh no, it's Miramax. Miramax. We must get Godzilla. Miramax. <laughs> you know so, uh, but regardless, I liked it. Uh, and other back recent stuff, uh, the new season of Ash versus Evil Dead is great. Uh, the second to last, ep- I think the third episode, maybe, or maybe it was the second one. One of the most disturbing fight scenes I've ever seen, ever. Mm. Uh, basically, when he, when Ash is in the morgue looking for the book, it's about to get really, really disturbingly gross. <laughs> like, I was just like, oh, man, like, this is actually gross. This is really gross. Uh, but nevertheless, Bruce Campbell kills Lucy Lawless is awesome in it and still gorgeous as ever. And uh, they actually, uh, the plot line for it, Ash goes back to his hometown, so you get to see Ash's father, mm-hmm. played by a veteran of the podcast. I'm not going to say who. I mean, if you really want to know, go look at a Yeah. But if you like Evil Dead, you should be watching the show anyway. But uh, yeah, that kind of does it for Halloween horror. So again, get your horror movies in while you can. Not that you can only watch them during October, but it's always a little more special to watch them during the month of October, at least in my opinion. And Sometimes I'm wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong about this. Mm. But anyway, uh, don't forget, you can drop us a line at 80srevisited at gmail.com, at AwesomePods on Facebook, Twitter. Or actually, it's at 80srevisited now on Twitter, right? Or I know you, we set something up. We, yeah, we have a Twitter now at 80srevisited. Gotcha. So if, I haven't really ran with it yet. So well, Hey, we're setting that up for next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, 
Finish our shout-outs are our good friends John and James and Now versus Nostalgia. And as I mentioned before, always check out our good friend Ben, the Tasmanian Devil, Wyatt in Tasmania with his Asia Mania podcast. And he also hosts a lot of, I mean, uh, he's, on, he's on a lot. Uh, he's a machine. And I was thinking about this the other day, Ben. Like, if we were ever, like, backyard wrestlers, I'd have a great angle for us. You would, you know, you'd be the established, you know, face, Ben, the Tasmanian Devil, Wyatt. Well, I would be like, you know, oh, I've just been, Ben Wyatt ain't what he says he is. He might be the Tasmanian devil, but I'm the Treymanian devil. And come this Sunday, I'm going to rip him apart, brother. brother. So, you know, if you're one, you know, we have a great wrestling <laughs> angle going on. So, you know, you know, like Jericho, one of my favorite angles ever was wrestling fans will appreciate this. Everybody else can sure. just turn it off. But uh, <laughs> where, where Jericho feuded with Dean Malenko, and Dean Malenko was the man of a thousand holes. Well, Jericho kept coming out, I'm the man of a thousand and one. And then he'd go to do a match and he'd do some weird hold that he never did in the ring before. Like, oh. and he'd be like, two, two. I'm the man of a thousand and two oh, holes. Yeah. He'd keep adding and adding to it. Great angle. Uh, so I was just thinking how funny that would be. But anyway, next week we've got some big changes coming. Uh, me and Jesse have been talking for, you know, nothing major, but, you know. To, it might even be two weeks. Yeah. You know, we're going to give. when we get back to it. Yeah. The next, <laughs> let me put it this way. The next episode. Yeah, there you go. Because, uh, I mean, we're 160 plus episodes in. We pretty much kept the same format since then in terms of just the structure of the podcast yeah uh of course some co-hosts have come and gone but me and jesse have always been here so we were just we were just uh we're looking at just kind of doing a, a, a reformat so to speak yeah, we never thought know? about taking this seriously yeah for you know <laughs> for once you know because i mean unfortunately our, our good looks aren't paying the bills anymore right, i know i don't understand town. that <laughs> but anyway the next episode we're gonna be doing a one that's uh you know i was surprised we haven't done we're gonna be doing beetlejuice no. so Finally, wow. finally get that one taken care of. We've often mentioned it on the podcast, but never done it. So true. It's high time to get it in, uh, and it's sort of a. It was also sort of a. And we're out of Halloween. You know, this will be our post-Halloween episode. Let's slowly transition into these holiday movies. Mm-hmm. So you know, Beetlejuice is timeless. You know, it's not necessarily a Halloween movie, although, again, it's always a little funner to watch it around Halloween. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, yeah, we'll be back. You know, our next episode. Some big changes, hopefully. Uh, like I said, nothing too drastic. Same, same me, same Jesse. Yep. Uh, but you know, we're gonna mix some stuff up, and we want to keep it fresh. See what we can do with it. Yep. But until then, everybody, I remain Trey Harris, Jesse Sedgley, Cowabunga, and Happy Fucking Halloween. Facebook.com slash awesome pods and follow us on Twitter at awesome pods.